Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Indeed, we sent Noah to his people saying, Warn your people before there comes a time, before there comes to them a painful punishment. He said, O my people, indeed, I am to you a clear warner, saying, Worship Allah, fear him, and obey me. Sadaqallahu al-Aliyyul Azim. Respected brothers and sisters, dearest respected viewers, wherever you may be, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. From Adam alayhi salam to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family, as we continue on this journey to seek lessons from the lives of the Prophets of Allah mentioned in the Quran in order to apply them into our lives today. Now, last night we looked at Prophet Idris alayhi salam. What was his career? How was he viewed within the community? Inshallah, if you haven't watched that episode or the previous episodes that we've done, then you can go back and watch those on our YouTube and Facebook at Imam Hussein TV 3. Or if you want to continue following us on this Ramadan special, then you can do so by using your Roku devices, your Jadu, YouTube, Facebook, iOS and Android devices. Tonight, inshallah, we're going to be looking at a Prophet of Allah mentioned on numerous occasions in the Quran. And we're going to be looking at his life as, as I'm sure myself and you are excited and seeking to find out many lessons about his life. Inshallah, all and more with Dr. Sayyid Amman Naqshawani. Sayyidna, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you doing tonight? Very well, thanks. Very well. Now, Sayyidna, there is a surah, as we know, called Surah Nuh. Chapter 71, I believe. Of what benefit does this story that happened a th thousands of years before the life of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family, what benefit does it have to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family during his time? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The stories of the Prophets and the Holy Quran always have a relation to what's happening to the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family and his companions in that early period in Mecca. Mm -hmm. So when we're going to look at the stories of the likes of Nuh alayhi salam or the likes of Yusuf alayhi salam, it's always related to something that's happening at Mecca at that particular moment in time or something that's affecting the life of the Prophet peace be upon him and his family. First level, it tells us never discount the events that have taken place thousands of years before you. There are many lessons to be taken from them. You know, many times people come to us in Muharram yeah. and they say to us, why do you always talk about Karbala and what happened on the plains of Karbala on the 10th of Muharram when it happened a thousand years ago? The Quran goes back thousands and thousands of years to stories of prophets so that we're able to learn from their lives. Mm -hmm. In the time of Nabi Nuh, there was idol worship. In the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, there was idol worship. Yeah. In the time of Nabi Nuh, people ended up calling him Majnoon. In the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, they end up calling him Majnoon. In the time of Nabi Nuh, salam, people pelted him with stones and attacked him. Yeah. And in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, the same was happening. So when there's a surah which is called... Surah Nuh, Surah 71 of the Holy Quran. Mm -hmm. You're right in asking the question, why would you tell the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, 
in Mecca about the story of Nabi Nuh. When Nabi Nuh lived thousands of years before him. And the reason was, it was a consolation to him. To tell him that you're not the first prophet who has gone through what you're going through. If you're finding it hard to speak to them, Meccans, about their idol worship, then know that Nabi Nuh as well. If you're finding that only a few are following you, then know that Nabi Nuh only had a few. And if you're finding that they're mocking you, then know that they mocked Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. Mm-hmm. So therefore you find that the story of Nabi Nuh was a fundamental story, not just in the history of humanity, because we know in the Bible, there is the discussion about Noah's Ark and the flood of Noah. And as you rightly mentioned, it became a Hollywood film, you know, recently about Noah. But also for that young, for that nascent Muslim community, that story had many parallels that were affecting them at the time. Now, last night we looked at the life of Prophet Idris, him being in Kufa. And we find that narration state that Prophet Nuh was also in Kufa. Now, does this area become an important part of all the Prophet's lives? Oh yeah, Kufa is, in my opinion, third to Mecca and Medina when you're talking of prominent sites in the history of the religion of Islam. Wow. Um, Because you find that like Nabi Idris lived in Kufa, as we mentioned yesterday, Majr al-Sahla, mm-hmm. Nabi Nuh lived next door to Majr al-Kufa. Okay. In fact, one of the main personalities to have constructed Jami' al-Kufa or Majr al-Kufa was Nabi Nuh salam. It was originally constructed by Nabi Adam salam. Okay. And you find that later on, a major role was played by Nabi Nuh being a resident of Kufa, that he wanted to ensure that Majr al-Kufa would always be honored and would be protected. Mm-hmm. Now we know there are huge tradition, many traditions about you know, praying in Majr al-Kufa is like performing Umrah, it's like performing a Mustahab Hajj, it's like performing 100,000 Rak'ahs. And the reason is that the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to love being in Kufa next to Masjid al-Kufa. Uh, and that's why you hear many stories of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even on the night of Mi'raj, one of the places where the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his family, where he stopped was in Masjid al-Kufa. Mm-hmm. He wanted to highlight the importance of Masjid al-Kufa to the Muslim community. Mm-hmm. So Nabi Nuh alayhi salam was a resident of Kufa. Now, I know that some people will say, wait, Kufa was originally seen as a... As a as a town in the Muslim empire, a city in the Muslim empire where people would go and stop in the time of Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas in 17 after Hijrah. But way before that, it had different names, of course. And you find that the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to reside there. And as we said, one of the main residents of Kufa was Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. Ahsan. Now, as I'm sure myself, yourself, we, all, we both seek to serve the community with our careers. What was Prophet Nuh's career? Prophet Nuh alayhi salam was a carpenter. Okay. I don't know if these jobs are coincidences or sometimes they're planned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you ever thought that you may need to build a boat one day, (laughs) you might need a carpenter. However, an ark, I'm not sure how much a carpenter can do by himself. But it just goes to show you that these prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, they take great pride in in earning a living, and also 
not relying on everybody's handouts to them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he could have easily said at one point in his life that, look, I'm a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make sure that you give me something. But there's something very unique about Nabi Nuh. He begins this trend of, yeah. I don't ask for any recompense from you. And I think the people had seen that this man had lived a very sincere life as a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Of course, later on, which Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also a carpenter who we read about later, who will be one of the last Prophets before the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him and his family. And that is, of course, Prophet Jesus alayhi salam. So the Prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they would be honored to be earning this lawful living in their young age. He was, you know, when you read hadiths about how Nabi uh, Nuh alayhi salam looked, they say that he was a brownish complexion, uh, very tall, but also, you know, quite robustly built. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the man himself had this figure where he was able to, you know, help people um, in all areas of the carpentry trade. Subhanallah. Yeah. Last night we looked at the meaning of the name Idris, which you said comes from Madrasa or Dars. Mm-hmm. What does Nuh mean? And does he have any other names in other scriptures? Yeah, it's very interesting that, you know, there is this reference to the idea of one who used to weep, yeah. you know, incessantly towards his Lord. Um, you know, Nabi Nuh alayhi salam, it was known that when he would do any carpentry, mm-hmm. he would always begin, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. You know, uh, he, he, and this is a message for us that yeah. whenever we're going to perform any act, mm-hmm. the sign of a believer the sign of a mu'min, yeah. is that they'll always say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Mm-hmm. Because we always want Allah's rahmah before the beginning of every act. Yeah. And we want Allah's mercy at the end of every act. And so mm-hmm. we know that we cannot perform anything in this world were it not for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. So what we have with Nabi Nuh alayhi salam, you know, there's a man who used to love talking to his Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, at that, the community that continued to follow the path of Nabi Idris alayhi salam mm-hmm. and the path of Nabi Sheath, um, and you find, however, that there are other names which are interesting for him. You know, Nuh is not the only name that he has. For you sure. find, for example, I remember reading traditions of his name, such as uh, a name uh, Abdul Ghaffar, for example, okay. was a name for Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. Abdul Jabbar was another name for Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. It's very interesting that Ghaffar and Jabbar, these names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, are now part of that uh, of that society mm-hmm. you know um, so there were people who would call him by these names but I think obviously the most famous name that he had Nuh. was Nuh I also remember a, a name given to him of second as well but Nuh would be the most famous one now yeah. over the past few nights we stressed on whether it was Prophet Adam Prophet Sheath Prophet Idris salam. we stressed that every prophet has to be trustworthy pious humble how was Prophet Nuh viewed within his community? Well, there's no doubt that he was viewed first and foremost with a major attribute that all prophets have to have, and that is um, a person who is amin, mm. a person who is trustworthy. Uh, there's no way that you can come to a group of people and preach to them unless you are somebody who's trustworthy with your message. Because we divide trustworthiness into two. The first type of trustworthiness is intellectual honesty okay. and trustworthiness. That if a person is going to be Amin, there has to be an intellectual honesty. They can't come and scam a group of people. Yeah. Or the Quran says, Lima taquluna ma la Why do you say that which you do not do? I've always said 
the most difficult thing I found in my lecturing career mm. was when you've lectured on something on the Saturday and on the Sunday you're tested with what you've lectured. Subhanallah. It's, it's unbelievable and, wow. and viewers may not believe me, but virtually every area that you've lectured on, Mm. The following day or a couple of days later, Allah tests you with that area. Wow. And sometimes people imagine that the more knowledge you have or the more religious supposedly you look, mm -hmm. the less tests you'll face. Whereas what we find with the Prophet of Allah subhanahu is that they're constantly tested. Yep. So that community, they all believed in Nabi Nuh as a person of intellectual honesty. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they believed in him as a person of economic honesty. He's never said to anybody that, listen, if you give me this much money, I'll, I'll read uh, a dua for you and therefore all your family will be forgiven or I'll buy you a house in Jannah if you invest this much in the community. Mm. Never does he have anything along those lines. I think one of the most beautiful words, you know, Surah Al-Shu'ara, Surah Nuh, these are the main surahs that speak about, you know, what happened with Nabi Nuh salam. And there is one particular description which Nuh is given, and that is that he is a nasah to the people. Yeah? Okay, yeah. Now, al-insan al-yansah, person we normally translate it as someone who advises. Mm -hmm. English doesn't do justice to the word nasah okay. in terms of saying that he's just an advisor. Someone who comes to you, who comes as a nasah in your life, is somebody who is also a well-wisher. Yeah. He only wishes well for you. In English, if you tell someone, yansahni, that person is advising me, they'll say, no. That person in the case of Nabi Nuh was also a well-wisher. Mm -hmm. He never looked at things negatively in his community. Yeah. Sometimes in our communities, we may sometimes lack positive energy. We may be around people who are supposedly religious, but their comments are always negative. The community is backward. People are hypocrites. The community is the worst. This community, is, I've never seen anything so bad. No. There may be areas in which we have negatives, but we should always be well-wishers. Yeah. If I see somebody come into the mosque and her hijab is not the best of hijab, there's two ways I could look at it. Sure. I could either come to that person there and then scold them, or I could be a well-wisher who tries to welcome them and hopefully my example will see a betterment in their lives. Yeah. Um, if I see somebody who hasn't turned up to the mosque a lot, I could say, well, it's surprised that you're here today. Or I could turn around and say, well, it's great to see you. And so what you see with Nabi Nuh alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions these two words in relation to his character. And his community knows that he is of this character. Mm -hmm. That not only is he somebody who has never told a lie, not only is he somebody if you took your, if you wanted some carpentry help, he would help you mm -hmm. and would never be somebody who's, you know, untrustworthy, but he's a well-wisher. He always had a positive outlook yeah. and he was trying his hardest to increase this positivity in wishing his people towards goodness. But what he came across at that time was a group of Qabil's descendants who were adamant that it was either their way or the highway. Now, it's a very interesting point that you brought and I believe you mentioned this point two nights ago in the life of Prophet Sheet alayhi salam where you said that Qabil's descendants would continue to the life of Prophet, yes, to the yes, time of Prophet do, yeah. Nuh yeah. What was their life like in that community? Well, you know, Nabi Nuh comes a couple of thousand years after Nabi Adam alayhi mm -hmm. um, And as I said, in between that period, you've got, you know, Nabi Sheeth, you've got Nabi Idris, and you've got these, um, 
you know, messengers who have come to guide uh, different communities. But the descendants of Qabil are adamant that they aren't going to follow the path of monotheism. Okay. Uh, rather, they're adamant that polytheism is going to be a norm for them. Um, if somebody has died, they were great people. No, let's make an idol for them. No, let's do sujood to that idol. Remember, I said that when there's a story of the prophets in the Quran revealed in Mecca, for example, it's mm. telling the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, that whatever you're seeing, history is repeating itself. Yep. The first thing that they were known for, polytheism. Other areas in their life, incest was there. Theft had become a norm. Wow. Uh, you found that there was hardly justice established. There weren't courts of justice. And so it was uh, a society full of corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were trying to get out of that corruption, but it was extremely difficult for them. Mm. You know, there were people who were trying their hardest to follow Nabi Nuh alayhi salam, but the peer pressure, which is always a problem. You know, the word Hanif, when it says Ibrahim was a Hanif, when we come to Nabi Ibrahim, it means that he goes against the tide of his time. And it was difficult for some because they knew that this isn't what Idris had taught. This wasn't the message of Sheath and Adam. But sometimes very difficult to come out of a circle which is pushing for the idea of cool to be that you are not religious. Okay, and so... The descendants of Qabil uh, were adamant that there was nothing wrong in what they were doing. If there was adultery, if there was incest, if there was theft, these things should continue and nobody should be stopping them. Wow. But the main problem that was there was polytheism. Yeah. And that's why you find the Quran seeks to stress that there were idols being worshipped which had become part and parcel of these people's lives. And you mentioned that, and that is mentioned in Surah Nuh, uh, chapter 71, verse 23. Uh, and it says, Bismillah And said, Never leave your gods, and never leave Wad, Suwa'a, Yahuth, and Ya'uq, and Nasra. What were these idols representing? Uh, these idols, it's interesting that it's five <coughs> idols that are mentioned yeah. from the time of Nuh alayhi salam. Why would these five idols be mentioned to that Muslim community in Mecca or to that community of Quraysh in Mecca? It's because the remnants of those idols were now seen in Mecca. You know, in Mecca, you had, let's say there were tribes within the, the Arabian Peninsula. You had, for example, tribes such as Himyar, mm-hmm. Madhaj. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kilabis, all of them had idols which were related to the idols of the time of Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. You see, for example, when you're looking at those idols at the time of Nabi Nuh, what what were these people? These people, when you're reading, you know, for example, words such as Wadda or Ya'uq or Nasr, these were idols. For example, in the case of Nasr, Nasr was an idol that looked like a vulture. Huh? Ya'uq was an idol that had the face of a horse. Okay. Originally, these had been great personalities in the times of Nabi Nuh When they died, the people made a statue for them. Now, sometimes people ask us in Islam, 
Are we allowed to have statues, you know, 3D shapes, 2D shapes, you know, different types of um, sculptures at home? And you'll find that scholars differ in their opinions. But one of the biggest problems when you have these things is that there may be a group of people who may end up deifying these and actually prostrating before them, mm -hmm. bowing before them or taking them as their Lord. In the case of these five, what happened was that the people in Tawah Nabi Nuh, they firmly believed that these were now images of gods. Okay. And they started to worship them. And not just worship them, they were bringing up their kids to worship these. So no longer was it, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. There's only one Rabbil Alameen. Yeah? No. There is a Rab who looks after your destiny. There's a Rab who looks after your wealth. There's a Rab who looks after your woman. One of these idols, by the way, was actually a female. Okay? okay. Uh, yeah, in the shape of a female. So what you're having there is you've got these people who are worshipping each of these idols. And when this begins to happen in society, then you know that it's very difficult to be able to change some of these. Now, some of them changed. Okay. I'll give you an example. Nabi Nuh salam, his wife uh, by the name of Amura or Amura, mm -hmm. she was one of these idol worshippers. Okay. When she began to reflect, hold on a minute, how could I be worshipping something that if I picked up an axe and smashed it, it would die? Mm. True. That's True. A, that idol can't protect itself. So I could just pick up an axe right now. Mm. And smash that idol. What's the idol going to do? How could I worship something I can't defend itself mm -hmm. from its own creation? When her father found out that she was leaving idol worship, her father was in a rage. How dare she be of those who leaves the path of the idols? Mm -hmm. And you know, there are people out there, they can have PhDs, they can have so many, you know, so many degrees. They'll still bow down before a rat. They'll bow down before a... You know, there are idols made out in, yeah. in the history of humanity. Mm -hmm. There are idols made out of things you would never believe. Mm -hmm. There are certain things you'll definitely never believe have idols, um, uh, you know, sculptured from. So what you have is that she tells her father that, look, why am I worshipping these idols? These idols are, you know, these were normal human beings. How yeah. could you compare them to the Lord who created the heavens and the earth? Subhanallah, yeah. She is attacked by her father. Mm. She's punished by her father. But eventually, alhamdulillah, she marries Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. So you do have some people who were, who were able to leave that path, but mm. that path became part and parcel of the lives of these people. But what's the issue that Islam has with idol worship? You know, just for the viewers out there, why can't you just let people be? As in the Quran, it says, لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ At the end of the day, they can say that we believe in one God, but we've just created images for him. It's a good point. Look, if I'm, I'm living in London and there are people who worship idols, there's no issues with people who worship idols. You know, they, they applies to them. Mm -hmm. However, a Prophet of Allah, when he sees a group of people who are steeped in idol worship, I don't think the problem is that you're bowing down before an idol. I think the main problem is that you've stagnated in your thinking process, in your thought process. You are a human. You have the ability to reflect, to mm. ponder. You have the ability to think. Idol worship in some cases subjugates the masses into believing in something. Okay. And it gives them a false sense of hope. But also at the same time, if a human being was to reflect, why am I prostrating behind that? Before that, that cannot protect itself. Mm -hmm. 
there is a story attributed to Abu Dhar al-Ghafari where it says that his tribe, uh, Bani Ghafar, they used to worship uh, the, the idols. Mm -hmm. He one day sees them take milk to the idols. When, the, when they leave, there is an animal that comes, drinks the milk. What does the animal do after it's finished drinking the milk? Urinates. Let's it all back out on the idol. Mm. You who worship that idol, what happened to you as a human being that you're willing to A, limit God into a shape, which mm. is a disrespect in itself? Of course. Because sometimes people say, well, people, there are religions that, yeah, they bow down to idols, but they believe in one God. They believe in one God, but a form of polytheism is to actually put an image to God. Mm -hmm. uh, so Islam's main problem with idol worship isn't so much that a human's bowing down. It's the sadness that the stagnation in the thought process of the human being, which when we come to Nabi Ibrahim later on, he breaks all the idols except the big one. Yeah. Because he wants them to start asking themselves, hold on a minute, why doesn't the big one defend the rest of them? Exactly. It's this idea of self-reflection. Mm -hmm. When that self-reflection and that intellectual honesty begins to leave society, then that society will be destroyed. Now, with every prophet of Allah, um, you stressed on that they have to live within society so that when they do announce their prophethood, no one can point to a black dot and say, look, you have this black dot, you, you're, you can't be sent from God. Now, what age did Prophet Nuh start his prophet? 850. Subhanallah. <laughs> 850. 850 announces his prophethood. Okay, fair enough. It's like the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, announces he's a prophet at 40, but he was a prophet from the day he was born. Yeah. Uh, but Nabi Nuh announces his prophethood at the age of 850. Wow. I've got people telling me that you Shia believe in the Mahdi. <coughs> you know, the Mahdi is like a thousand years old. Mm. Listen, the Quran's telling us that Nabi Nuh's, you know, Majalis were 950 years. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. let alone 850 years plus 950. It's like 1800. Yep. Took him 200 years to build the ark. Add another 500 years after the flood. Nabi Nuh was like two and a half thousand years old when he died. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. By the age of 850 is when he begins. And when he begins, the aim of his whole message is to try and get people to start thinking again. Mm. Once society is steeped in ignorance and there is, there's two types of ignorance. There's a jahl which is basir and a jahl which is murakkab. What's the difference between the two? Jahl Basit is, for example, I have ignorance on, for example, the capitals of the world. I can't name the capitals of every country in the world. Mm -hmm. The Jahl Basit, I can go on. Jahl Murakkab is this compound ignorance mm -hmm. where I actually think I know everything and you can't teach me a thing. Mm -hmm. As Imam Ali salam said, there are four types of people. Yeah. There are those who know and know that they know. There are those who know but don't know that they know. There are those who don't know and know that they don't know. And then there are those who don't know and don't know that they don't know. So you find that these four types of people existed in yeah. society. And uh, Nabi Nuh begins his message to his community. They all know him at the age of 850. Yeah. Before I quote the ayah in the Quran, we are going to go to a short break. Do stay tuned for the second part of Live in London with Dr. Sayyid Aman Naqshawani where you can call in. And ask your questions to the Sayyid, call in on 0203-515-0199 or alternatively text in your questions to the number down below. 
Stay tuned. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Welcome to the second part of Live in London with Dr. Sayyid Amman Naqshawani as we discuss the life of Prophet Nuh alayhi salam. Now before the break Sayyidina, we were talking about the prophethood of Prophet Nuh, how long it lasted. And you uh, kindly mentioning it was 950 years. But I'd No, like... it didn't last 950 years. His prophethood was nine. No, he becomes the Prophet 850. 850. Yeah. yeah. He um, preaches to the people how long? 950. Do you have the ayah? I have the ayah. Give us the ayah. Chapter 29, verse 14. It says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا نُوحًا إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ فَلَبِثَ فِيهِمْ أَلْفَ سَنَةٍ إِلَّا خَمْسِينَ إِلَّا خَمْسِينَ عَامًا فَأَخَذَهُمُ الطُّوفَانُ وَهُمْ ظَالِمُونَ yeah. yeah. And we certainly sent Noah to his people and he remained among them a thousand years minus fifty years. And the flood seized them while they were wrongdoers. Now, didn't he ever give up? As in, if, if I was Listen, to preach to someone... Bro, I've been asking myself that same question ever since I've read that, that story. You yeah. know, 950 years. If I preach to someone for an hour and they don't take it, I give up. That's it. But I, I'm, I admire the amount of confidence you have about yourself. <laughs> 950 years. 950 years mm. That is unbelievable Bro, you do 10 nights of Muharram mm. And you're knocked Yeah I remember Muharram and Safar a few years ago Allah blessed me to be able to give 61 lectures Oof. In 68 days Because wow. you know there are many communities that have 2 months and 8 days of Majalis mm. I managed to give 61 in 68 I was knocked Wow. There it was difficult and only I think the adrenaline of, of being able to serve Ahlul Bayt on the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only thing that keeps you going. Mm. But this man is unreal. 950 years Subhanallah. trying to speak to Arabs, that is death. Because like Arabs all believe that they know everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to the Arab world, they all believe they are the best in politics, they are the best in uh, history, they are the best in law, they are all Mawlanas, they are all the best doctors. He has to speak to them? Yeah. 950 years? Crazy. Bro, no, no wonder Nabi Nuh was crying a lot. Yeah. Because he's, he's just talking to these people for that 950 year period. And it's unbelievable. And I'll tell you something. People imagine that he didn't, that he never wanted to give up. There was a couple of times he wanted to give up. Really? If you read in the world of Hadith, every 300 years, there's a, there's a narration in that period of 915. Every 300, he tells his Lord, they're not listening. Mm. 
They're not listening. Yeah. I'm trying to change them. But they're not listening to what I'm saying. They were arrogant towards him. They were rude towards him. And what keeps on happening is every time he wants to give up, There are narrations that 12,000 angels, Jibra'il would tell him there are 12,000 angels telling you, remain patient mm -hmm. and trust the merciful Lord. Yeah. And if ever you told me about any message that's affected me, I would say that that particular part of Nabi Nuh's story, that try and remain patient. We said that his wife, Amura, she came towards the religion if you've guided one person like that, you've guided the whole of humanity. Yeah. But truly this man is of the Ulul Azim. Yeah. You know, no doubt. Yeah. Now, as the Quran mentions, he was known as the first of the Ulul Azim in chapter 46, verse 35. It says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Fasbir kama sabara ulul azmi min ar-rusuli wa la tasta'jil lahum. Yes. Sadaqallahu al-Ali al-Azim. Yeah. Now, what did Prophet Nuh's Sharia or law entail? Yeah, they're normally known as the, the no-hide laws mm -hmm. uh, in reference to Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. No one can exactly say the details of his Sharia, but the Ulul Azim all have come with a Sharia and the Sharia mm -hmm. continues to progress from Nuh to Abraham to Moses to Jesus and finally the Sharia of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. Now, let, there's, I think there's six, seven main points which we could call the Sharia of Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. Yeah. The first and most obvious one would be that idolatry, the worship of idol, is something which is now completely forbidden. Mm -hmm. Okay? That would be the first one. Qul huwa Allahu ahad, as we say within the Holy Quran. Allahu samad, lam yalid wa lam yulad, wa lam yakul lahu kufuwan. And every prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and every wise man mentioned in the Quran would always tell his family to stay away from shirk, from putting partners to Allah or as these people had done, putting images to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That would be number one. Number two, that incest and adultery are forbidden. Okay? Uh, completely forbidden within the religion of Islam. Yeah, sure. And that you've got number three, murder is forbidden. Of course. Okay? Then you have number four, and of the utmost importance, is trying to stay away from the cursing in the name of God. Mm. We are the worst at always saying, Wallah, Wallah, Wallah. Then you've got theft being forbidden. <laughs> then you've got a stress on um, the eating of the flesh of the living animal. Okay? And then he stresses on establishing courts of justice. <laughs> he believes that if you want to build a moral society, then that moral society which is built, these are the foundations. Yeah. Now, forget whether you're watching this as an atheist, as a Muslim, as whatever. I think these seven points <coughs> can establish a healthy society. Yep. You know, especially theft being forbidden, incest and adultery. Now, someone might say, listen, if I want to commit adultery, it's completely up to me. Why do you have to bring religion into this? But adultery, we, we can't deny, has you know, destroyed and ruined people's lives. So that would be an, an area which would be forbidden. Um, watching what we eat and establishing courts of justice. So those were seen as the laws which came with Nabi Nuh alayhi salam, although we could not know the exact details further than that.
Yeah. Now, Sayyidina, you obviously mentioned that Prophet Nuh السلام, every 300 years he would want to give up because the people weren't listening. Now, you say, no, mashallah, you give many lectures and you've given thousands of lectures. Um, have you ever thought of giving up? Because people may not literally put their hands in their ears and not listen to you while you're giving a lecture. But, you know, do you sometimes feel like the message isn't being conveyed to the people? Well, I think, you know, I, I can appreciate what Nabi Nuh is going through only for a for an ayota. You know, um, the Quran says that when Nabi Nuh started to preach this message to the people, uh, which means that they actually started to put their fingers in their ears. Mm -hmm. uh, people may have done that to my majalis without me looking. Um, however, not blatantly in my face have I seen somebody go like that. Mm -hmm. And I certainly haven't seen anyone, you know, just cover them, their faces when I'm talking to them. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they, they were unbelievably rude towards Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. There are... Areas in the books of hadith which mention that they actually um, physically attacked him. Wow. There is one hadith I remember reading where they beat him until his ears were bleeding for three days in a row. Now, you know, I've lectured, Allah has blessed me, you remain patient, mm. you have difficult times, you have the best of times. However, nothing compares to what Nabi Nuh went through. Yeah. Nabi Nuh alayhi salam had to go through physical attacks, him and his followers. His followers weren't many, mm, mm. but he went through periods of extreme physical attacks, something you'd never wish on somebody who's trying to bring people towards the path of the Lord. Yeah. Now, I'm sure if he's trying to bring people towards the path of the Lord, in that period, in that long period of his life, there must have been someone that changed. Was yeah, yeah well, I, I always say the best example would be his wife, Amura. She, you know, she, she was part of the whole pagan idol worship and she... She came towards his life and she was a backbone to him. Was that the same wife that was bad or no, was there another? No, good question. He was married to two wives. Okay. The wife which is mentioned in Surah Al-Tahreem where Allah, uh, the wife of Nuh and the wife of Lot. Mm -hmm. Allah gave an example to those who disbelieve. The wife of Nuh and the wife of Lot, that one was called Rabi'ah. Rabi'ah Rabi was different to Amura. Amura was the good wife of Nuh. <coughs> Rabi'ah, no, Rabi'ah was one of those who turned against him. And Rabi'ah made it clear, the, the Quran makes it clear, just because a lady is married to a prophet doesn't mean that she dies as a believer. Yeah, of course. Not. A person can be married to a prophet doesn't mean they become prophetic. A person can be married to a prophet can become the biggest enemy of God, can become the biggest troublemaker, yeah. can become the worst human being you'll ever see. And that was Rabi'ah, the wife of Nuh. Wow. So if people come up to me and say to me, somebody, if they're a wife of a prophet, you have to respect them? No, because the Quran said that the wife of Nuh was a disbeliever. Yeah. There's no special significance given to you simply because you're the wife of the prophet. Yeah, of course not. Except that you're in the house of somebody mm -hmm. of honor <coughs> and of respect. But further than that, you have to show the utmost respect and you have to follow the teachings of the religion. Yeah. Because we find and we will see with the story of Nuh, his wife is not the only one who goes against him. Someone could say the sons of the Prophet have to be good. No, even the sons start going against mm. him. Yeah. Now, Prophet Nuh salam, is known across the globe, Noah's Ark. Okay. Now, the flood, 
what was the background of it? It, it seems very harsh, to say the least. Yeah, the flood is, uh, is not an easy concept to understand, I must mm. admit. I can sit here and talk about the flood. But, you know, when I'm looking baffled at a camera like this, you know it's not easy for me to comprehend. Yeah. Suffice for me to say that God interferes at times and with all respect of the word interferes. Mm-hmm. For he is the almighty yes. and the all just and the all merciful. When a society has become so unethical and corrupt Mm -hmm. and seeking to destroy the adults and the children, you'll find that a God who normally doesn't interfere may interfere. And we are nobody to say, why are you interfering? Of course. God wants the society to be a society built on concepts such as dignity and honor and justice and patience and respect and humility. That society had steeped to an all-time low. When you beat a prophet of God until his ears are bleeding. Mm -hmm. And you know what they used to do when their adults would be dying on their deathbed? You know, on your wasiyah, you tell your children on the deathbed, you tell them, for example, be good human beings, look after the future, you look after the community. They would tell their children, you know what, don't follow that majnoon, Nuh. They would continue in their adulterous ways, they would continue in their ways of theft. There would be no justice. And God also saw that Noah was patient. Listen, 950 years is no joke. If a flood suddenly affects an area where a person's given 10 lectures and then God's like, uh, you know, I don't like these people. Put a flood, let's cover everything. No. Mm. 950 years of preaching. Never once has he bad-mouthed or ridiculed them. Never once has he been hypocritical. And yet you come back and beat him. And you come back and ridicule him. God decides, and this is part of the remit of the Lord, that there has to be an interference. Every time Nuh said to him, my Lord, punish them for their behavior. He would say to him, be patient. Mm. Punish them, be patient. Punish them, be patient. Until eventually he tells him, Nuh, get ready. Yeah. They've been so arrogant, Qabil's descendants, ever since Qabil died. Mm-hmm. When, Idri- when, Idri- when Sheath went to them, they were arrogant to Sheath. When Idris went to them, they were arrogant to Idris. When you went to them, they were arrogant. And all that is being born from them are children with more and more arrogance. And their arrogance began to affect the household of Nuh. His wife joined them. Yeah. His son joined them. Yeah. At this moment is when God says, go and get an ark ready. Mm-hmm. Get the tools. These people will learn. Mm-hmm. Let them plan and plot. I too can plan and plot. And you'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I think that's a message to people out there that you know what? You can mock God as much as you want. And you don't have to believe in God, but don't mock. And when you do mock, even the greatest emperors will see a downfall. Yeah. Now, you mentioned. Um, you. You kind of broke down the life of Prophet Nuh Um You mentioned that it took him 200 years to build the ark. Now, I know he was a carpenter, but that was huge. But where does he build it? He builds it in, uh, in Kufa. He cool. builds it in Kufa, yeah. The ark is built from Kufa. Yeah. Now, how many people join him on the actual ark? 
Well, he's held by Jibra'il. Jibra'il is the one who helps him build this ark. It's not easy. And anyone who thinks that Nabi Nuh could do it alone, he couldn't. Jibra'il helps him build this ark. Um, people are mocking him, thinking, what's this guy doing? You know, is this guy crazy? Is he tr- what are you building? He's like, listen, there's going to be a punishment. And you guys have to take heed. And I don't... And what's interesting is... He tells those who disbelieve in him that there's a punishment coming. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they can say we weren't warned. Listen, 200 years is a long time. Yeah, okay. Course. He tells those who disbelieve in him, but he also tells those who believe in him. They don't just be arrogant thinking, well, we're Mu'min and we're with Noah, we're going to be saved. You'll be tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes them 200 years to build this ark. And as I said, Kufa was a central place for him building this ark. Uh, and only 80 were with him. 80. You know, in the whole of humanity, wow. only 80 believed. So sometimes when we hear that only 72 were with Imam <laughs> Hussein at Karbala, mm-hmm. uh, previously in history there was only 80 with Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. Now, there's a, there's a mention that he took animals on board. Though. Yeah. Why would he take animals? Well, you know, you're trying to preserve... Um, what can be left to build a new nation. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, animals were taken in pairs. In the Bible, the Quran mentions all of these things and in the world of hadith. Now, when the flood came, he must have faced some difficult moments. Oh, he, you know, when he's in the ark, there's some very difficult, difficult moments there. I, I, there was, there's a hadith which says that, the, you know, the gales were so strong. Mm. This isn't a, a flood that's affected, according to many scholars, the whole world, the whole earth. You know, the Quran mentions Ard, so the whole earth. Oh, so it wasn't just local? It wasn't local. Some believe it was local. Majority believe it was, you know, when the Quran mentions Ard, that means the whole earth. Wow. Um, and there's these, you know, gale force winds which are pushing him while he's on the ark. And he reads the dua, Ya Allah, I ask you in the name of Muhammad and Al Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Subhanallah. Like Nabi Adam when he spoke wow. to Allah. Nabi Nuh likewise, in the name of Muhammad and his family, the most beloved to you. Give us strength in this period. Wow. But it was difficult as well on a personal level because when he's telling everybody that this flood is affecting you, sometimes members of his own family are the ones who don't join him. Yeah. How, man- how many days was it? I think a seven-day flood could be correct, but you can never know these details, yeah. yeah. Now, with any prophet, they, he had a son. Yeah. How many sons did he have at that point? He had uh, Shem, Hem, Canaan, and Japheth. And Canaan's the one who doesn't join him. Really? Canaan's the one where his dad is telling him, son, come join us. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to die from this flood. He's like, you know, this mountain will save me. You know, and instead of listening to his father, sadly. And it's a period of anguish for Noah because I don't think it's easy for any father. You know, it's not yeah, easy no, to see your son not. who's about to die. Yeah. So it was difficult moments. Now, it, it says it uh, in the Quran, إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ أَهْلِكَ Yeah, yeah. مِنْ أَهْلِكَ Yes, إِنَّهُ حَمَلٌ Incorrect. What does that line mean? Well, he's not of your family. Some said it means he's not of your path. Others said, literally, what he represents now is not of what you represent. Mm-hmm. Um, Nabi Nuh, some, believe, some say that he wasn't too certain about his son's disbelief. Uh, some said that he thought Allah would look after all his family, didn't realize. Some said that this was from the other wife. There are different opinions. But the main point is, he's no longer of your family. He's no longer of your path. Now, there's a mention of um, 
the city of Najaf having to do something with the drowning of Prophet Muhammad. Yes. Najaf comes from two words. Najaf. Okay. The area where the water was, that whole area of water was called the Nay. Mm -hmm. Something in Arabic which is dry. Jaff. Jaff. Mm -hmm. When that water dried up, Mm -hmm. You connect the two together, it becomes Nay Jaff. Na Jeff. Wow, okay. <laughs> so the area where Imam Ali is buried, where Nabi Noah is buried, where Nabi Adam is buried, that area called Najaf, mm -hmm. when that whole area of water dried, it got its name from there. The Nay Jaff. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now there are accusations, well, there are accusations that Prophet Nuh was a drunkard. Do we accept this in Islam? No, 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 no. The Bible, you know, talks of him being drunk. The Quran will never, and Islam and the teachings of Ahlul Bayt mm -hmm. salam, would never put such an accusation against the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. Shaytan says something in Surah 38, Yeah. Al-mukhlas is different to mukhlis. Mukhlis with the kasra is someone who is sincere. Mukhlas is someone free from the need to sin. Okay. Shaitan says, I'll make all of them disobey you, O God, except the mukhlas, the mukhlasin. Oh. The mukhlasin are the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaitan cannot affect them in any way. It's a sign of their asma. Yeah. So we do not believe in this idea that Noah was drunk. Now we, we believe that every Prophet of Allah had an interaction with Shaitan. Shaitan had an interaction with Prophet Nuh Are there lessons that we can take from that interaction between them? Yeah, well you know after the flood Nuh lives for 500 years. Mm -hmm. And shaitan comes to him. There are these stories which are mentioned, anecdotal, hagiographical, different opinions, but there are these stories which say that uh, shaitan meets the prophets. It can't affect the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any way, but he meets them and he, he says to Nuh, listen, you've done my job. You destroyed humanity in your own way. So I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to tell you three things. And these three things are, remember that I'm always there at these three moments. Yeah. Number one, when you are alone with somebody of the opposite gender who's not legally related to you, I'm always the third of the three. Mm -hmm. Number two, when you're about to give charity, I'll always make you think twice. Mm -hmm. Number three, when you're angry, I'll make you more angry. And I think these are three, you know, we thank Iblis. We don't normally thank Iblis, yeah. but we thank Iblis. But, you know, Iblis gives us these three lessons that, you know, beware if you're alone with somebody who is not mahram, to, you know, in that situation that you may begin to go towards the world of sin. And number two, when you're angry, someone tells you calm down. You're like, I'm not calming down. I'm, don't stop me. That's when shaitan says, I'll make you more angry. Mm -hmm. And that's why Imam Ali says, go do wudu at that moment. Calms mm -hmm. yourself down. And then number three, when you're about to give charity, shaitan always tells you not this year, next year, business is better. Next year, think twice. Maybe next year is better. Shaitan says, whenever you're about to give charity, Noah, tell your people. That when they're about to give charity, I'm always there. Now, and I'll the, always block them. Now, we're going to take a question from a few questions from WhatsApp. Uh, this question says, Salam, Sayyid, did Prophet Nuh 
Because as we remember on the second night, we spoke about Prophet Adam and how Prophet Nuh moved Prophet Adam's body to yeah. Najaf. Now, did Prophet Nuh move the body of Eve or Hawa next to Prophet Adam's or was it left in the mountain? Nabi Nuh alayhi salam moved the bones of Adam from the mountain of Abi Khubayz to Najaf to bury him. We have no evidence which I know of that he moved the body of Eve towards that location. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, back to Prophet Nuh alayhi salam because we, in Shia thought, we believe every Prophet of Allah left a successor. Yes. Did Prophet Nuh leave a successor? If so, who? He left behind Shem. Shem. His son Shem. He left him as his successor. But he told him that there may be a period, tell your people, there may be a period of difficulties for them. You're going to come towards a Prophet called Hud. And so uh -huh. we're going to come towards Nabi Hud very soon. Does Rasulullah mention the Ark of Noah? Because the Ark of Noah took years to build. Yeah. And Prophet Noah lived for thousands of years. Yeah. So it must be very important. Oh, he mentions Nabi Nuh on many occasions, but the most famous tradition about the Ark of Nuh was from the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, as a message to every Muslim who's watching this. And that is the example of the Ahlul Bayt is like the example of the Ark of Noah. Mm -hmm. Whoever follows, whoever boarded the ship yeah. of Noah, the Ark of Noah was saved. The ones who did not board it ended up drowning. Mm -hmm. Those who board the ship or the Ark of Salvation, that is Al Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa they will be saved. And those who do not follow the path of Muhammad and Ali and Fatima and Hassan and Hussein and the nine from the line of Hussein, they may see themselves drowned. Drowned in which way? They may still love them, but not follow Islam in its purest ways. Mm. So that would be the most famous tradition which connects the, the Ark, the Safina mm -hmm. of Nuh with Safinat al-Najat, that is Al-Muhammad sallallahu wa sallam We're going to take uh, a few more questions from the WhatsApp. Uh, Aisha Haidar says, I have a question. Do the Shias and Sunnis differ on any aspects of history of Rusuls that is being discussed or is the history the same for both schools of thought? The, they differ in the sense that A, the sources who tell us about these prophets our sources are the prophets and the imams of Ahlul Bayt mm -hmm. We take our knowledge about the prophets from the Quran and from the Ahlul Bayt Secondly, we believe that the prophets of Allah are all ma'soom, are all infallible. Whereas other schools in Islam do not mind ascribing moments of sin, which in turn, they say, blocks their intercession on the day of judgment for the people. Yep. Now... As I'm sure you are and myself are when mesmerized by the length that Prophet Nuh lived and preached to his people. But at the end of it, where was it he was buried? And what did he do before he died? He's buried, as I said, in Najaf, next to Imam Ali alayhi salam. Mm -hmm. But before he died, he prepared Imam Ali's grave alayhi salam. When Imam Ali was dying from the strike of Abdul Rahman, the son of Muljam, Imam Ali said to Imam al-Hassan, you will find that there is a grave prepared for me mm -hmm. by Nuh. So Nabi Nuh 
Nabi Adam, all of them were honored to be associated with Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam. And there are millions upon millions who perform the ziyarah of Nuh, Adam and Imam Ali alayhi salam in the land of Najaf. Mm -hmm. May Allah bless the viewers who have been and may Allah yeah. bless the viewers who inshallah will go to visit that land, the land of Najaf. In order that they're able to sit by the grave of the Amir and by the grave of Nabi, Nabi Adam. Then you have number two, interesting, you know, when he was dying, the angel of death was coming to him. He just looked and he just said, It only seems a moment ago that I was born. And this is a man who's lived for two and a half thousand years. Imagine what we'd think. Um, yeah, pertinent lessons from his death, no doubt. Yeah. Now, a few more questions coming in through WhatsApp. There are many coming in. Um, this one says, Salam, uh, were there other prophets alive during the time of Prophet Nuh salam? And if so, where were they? There may have been. There may have but been. in terms of names, we don't have any uh, names mentioned. Uh, but there may have been. Allah sent to every nation a warner. Ahsantum Sayyidina. Thank you very much for your My time. Pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. A very insightful discussion on the life of Prophet Nuh salam, the first of the Ulul Azim. Uh, we do apologize to the viewers. I'd like to apologize personally to the viewers that we are not able to take in all your questions when the Sayyid is not able to answer all your questions because of the amount that are coming in. We are literally, there are so many coming in and we're, we only pick a select few. Do join us tomorrow as we begin our discussion on the next Prophet in line, Prophet Hud alayhi salam. And do stay tuned for the Adhan. For Maghrib, UK time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We encourage you to look at our audio library for more content on Quran, ethics, lifestyle, and spirituality. Imam Hussain TV3, your gateway to Karbala.